0: Well, good morning glad that you were all here on july 4th i couldn't believe i couldn't even believe that we were going to have a god and country day actually on independence day so happy independence day to everyone especially those of you watching from home or watching from any of our campuses, from our Missouri City campus, from our Richmond-Rosenberg campus, from our Darrington campus, so glad you're here with us today. My name is Tim Homa, and I just uh, get the awesome privilege of being the campus pastor over at our Richmond-Rosenberg campus. So if you're here today from Richmond-Rosenberg, way to, way to represent. Thank you for being here with us all. What an unbelievable start to our service, amen? What a great way to honor our nation and all of our followers of Christ around the world. You know, we have this propensity to live in the kingdom of me. You don't have to teach a child how to lie, how to be selfish, how to be mad. It's all ingrained in each and every one of us. We grow up and supposedly we get more mature, but those traits stay with us. We hope that they wouldn't, but they do. We get better at hiding them though, don't we? We tend to cover them up a little bit better. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'd help to recognize the fact that a lot of times we like to be the main guy or the main girl. We wanna call the shots. We wanna be the big kahuna, the big man on campus. We want to rule our own way. Why is it? Why is it that we tend to act this way? Well, the Bible says it's sin that distorts our view of our life, and it leads us into living in this kingdom of me, population one, me. I read a story recently about a guy named Kevin Ba. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he has his own nation. It's called the Republic of Molassia. Now it's true, he has his own kingdom, he has his own uniform. He uh, has a khaki outfit, he's got the big shoulder pads like a general from another country would have with the gold braids. He's got the sash with the blue and the white green colors for his national colors. He's got uh, the hat that has the beaming star on front of it. Have you ever heard of the Republic of Malaysia? No? Well, of course not. It's in a three-bedroom house on 1.3 acres of land in Dayton, Nevada. But if you were to look on the website to do a little research on the Republic of Malaysia, you'll notice that Kevin, or as he calls himself, His Excellency, Kevin Baugh, he has his own space program. He's got a little model rocket. He's got his own currency. It's in the form of chocolate chip cookie dough, which would be a lot like my savings account. I'd go through it pretty quick. I love chocolate chip cookie dough. He has his own national sport, broomball. He also has, in the middle of a desert area of Nevada, his own navy. It's an inflatable boat. Kevin Baugh is a 58-year-old father of three. He's considered a micro-nationalist. He's one of a band of many wacky, do-it-yourself nation builders that are growing throughout our world where they take a flag and they stake it in their yard and they say, this is my nation. And this is what, as he calls it, the kingdom of me. For Kevin, it's a joke, but he's joking about what all humans want to do. We want to build a kingdom of me. We want this isolated for ourselves. In our kingdom, we rule and we reign, of course. We have reputation, we have success, we have power, we have comfort, we have relationships that sit on the throne of our hearts, influencing our actions and ruling our lives. That's the kingdom of me. But in the kingdom of me, the outcome is always the same. Frustration, heartache, foolishness, failure after failure. Our relationships are broken as our selfish aims consume us. And then this has led us into a little bit of trouble with God, the ruler of all that he has created. But sin is simply the effect of living in the kingdom of me. It's by living our own laws instead of following God's, and in our quietness, we call ourselves His Excellency or Her Majesty. See, our greatest decision that we face each and every day is that decision to follow a kingdom. We're always faced with two different types of kingdom, and which one will we live in? Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one, or he will love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Those who are in the know, the so-called experts, say that we're living in a time of turmoil. We don't need to be an expert to know that. We know right now that this world is in chaos, that there is a boiling underneath the surface of something big that's gonna happen, and it's not gonna be pretty, and it's not gonna be good. But right now, nothing feels sure, nothing feels stable, nothing feels secure. And what makes things even more difficult is that if we look at our own personal lives, we're just as unstable, we're just as uncertain. In this room this morning are rocky relationships, relationships that are struggles within your family members, your friendships, maybe your marriage, questionable health, is another thing that we have to face a lack of job security a sense of feeling lost nothing is sure and we go looking for security we go looking for stability we go out in a search for something to see us through the turmoil and the chaos and what we find is a choice between two kingdoms one kingdom will offer stability while the offer will not one will offer us protection from the upcoming storm, and one will place us right in the eye of the storm. And that's the choice we're faced with. So today, let me share with you a story. A story of someone who was at a pivotal moment in her life regarding choosing between two kingdoms. And from that, I would hope that we would, we would glean some key components from her life, some key principles that we can apply to our own life in her name, was Rahab. Two kingdoms came knocking at her door one night, both calling for allegiance, both calling for her to follow her, and she's faced with a difficult, difficult decision. Which one will she choose? Well, today we're going to look at this story. It's in the Old Testament, so if you have your Bible with you, if you have your Bible app, jump to Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to look through the story of Rahab. I'm going to begin with verse 1. It says this, Then Joshua son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from the town, Say, go over and look, go over and look the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. The Israelites are on the edge of the Jordan River. They're camped out there in their little town. And they are waiting for the day that God says, go take it. Cause the land on the other side of the river has been promised to them by God. They have been waiting for this moment. This is the moment they've been excited for. They know there's gonna be a battle. They know there's gonna be a war. And so they're ready to go. And so Joshua decides, let's check out these people. So he takes two spies and he sends them over. He goes, go check it out. And for whatever reason, he wants them to go to Jericho. And so he sends these two spies in ahead of this battle. And on their reconnaissance mission, they find themselves at Rahab's place. Well, Rahab happens to be a prostitute. And they end up there thinking that they could hide there. And here's the reason why. During this time in history, A prostitute's house was more like a tavern or a bar or a restaurant, and it was where foreigners would go if they didn't want to be recognized or known. So it was natural for the spies to not want to be recognized, be found out that they're spying on the land they're about to attack, to show up at Rahab's place to hide, to be undercover. But unfortunately, something about these spies gave away who they were. It was instant that people knew they were Israelites, and they were found out. They were discovered, and the king finds out. Look what it says here, beginning in verse 2. So the king of Jericho was told, so here's the report, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. It didn't take long for the king to find out about these spies, and now he wants them. He wants them to be brought out. He wants Rahab to release them, to show them up right to the, uh, the, the commanders, whoever the army that's been sent. He wants to take care of them. We don't know what's going to happen, but he is putting pressure on Rahab. And this leaves Rahab in a very uncomfortable position. Two kingdoms are at her door, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Jericho. And she has to make a choice. Which one will she choose? Who will she swear her allegiance to? See, there are two kingdoms at war for our life, the kingdom of me and the kingdom of God. For Rahab, it's a much bigger question. These are not just two ordinary kingdoms that are standing at her door. The kingdom of Israel represents the kingdom of God. It represents the kingdom of the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord of the universe. The kingdom of Jericho represents the kingdom of man or the kingdom of men, of me, the kingdom of human pride, human longing, human strength. And these two kingdoms are opposed to one another. They're polar opposites. What complicates things even more is that these two kingdoms are about to go to war. One will win, one will lose. One will offer stability in the midst of chaos, the other one will be destroyed. She's left with a choice. And essentially this becomes a life or death issue for Rahab. If she sides with the wrong kingdom, she'll be in trouble. But which one would she put her trust in? Which one will she look for for security and stability? Which one will provide what she needs in the midst of a chaotic situation? Will she side with her own people? Will she give up the spies to the king like we would all anticipate her to do? Or will she choose to hide the spies and in doing so, put her life in the hands of Israel's God? And to some degree, she would be, become a traitor to her own people. Two kingdoms stood at her door. One, which one will she choose? Perhaps, you don't realize it, but each and every day, you and I are faced with that same question. Two kingdoms stand at our door, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Both of them claim to offer stability in the midst of uncertainty. Both demand our allegiance. Both demand our resources and our time. Both call us to trust, to put our hope and our trust in them. Two kingdoms stand at the door every single day in your life. Which one will you choose? See, we face these questions as we look into the eye of uncertainty. Every single day, there's chaos around us. We face the questions when we make decisions about church, about work, about finances, about relationships. We find these questions when we're confronted with disease or illness. When life begins to feel over, overwhelming, we find ourselves in trouble, and we don't know which way to turn, so we, we are faced with a decision. Do we follow the ways of man, the kingdom of man, or the ways of the Lord, or the kingdom of, of God? well, let's see what Rahab decided to do when these two kingdoms came knocking at her door. Verse four, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid on the roof. So the men sent out, in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan and as soon as the pursuers had gone the gate was shut Rahab decides to turn her back on her people she chose the kingdom of God and she sent the king's men away she told the spies that they had come and gone and that they should go follow them quickly they got them out she protects she snuck them. she was able to force them out in order to protect the spies Rahab chose to align with the kingdom of God, but why would she have done this? What is it that we can learn from this decision that she made about choosing God's kingdom over her own kingdom? Well, her choice, the choice that we make each and every day, will determine our future. Rahab was looking at the upcoming war and battle, looking at the turmoil and chaos that was about to enter into her city and into her world. She made a decision that was very much in her favor to look at the future. Well, look at what, she, look what it says in, in, in verse 8 about her reasoning. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. She, as well as all the other people, really understand and they have heard stories about Israel's God. They know that he is the true God, and they're afraid. Whether they're willing to admit it or not, the God of the Israelites was the true God. And they saw that because they heard stories about the Israelites when they crossed the Red Sea. You see, the people in Jericho believed that there was a God in that sea, and Israel's God defeated that God. So already there was concern. And then they hear stories of how the Israelites went on to defeat Shihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites. They had a battle and a war where they barely even broke a sweat in defeating those two kingdoms. The people of Jericho are scared. They know what's on the horizon. They're shaking in their boots. They know the most powerful nation with the most powerful God was coming after them next. And what were they going to do? They were doomed. They knew they weren't going to win. And this is the truth, they all knew whether they were willing to admit it. So when Rahab was faced with a choice between the two kingdoms, it didn't take long for her to decide. She knew who was gonna win. And look what it says in verse 11. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. See, Rahab knows that the Israel's God is the only true God, and he will prevail. He will win. Nothing can stop God. He's the one who can offer stability and security in the coming storm. There's no doubt in her mind who is going to win the battle of the kingdoms. No doubt at all. She fears the Lord, and she aligns herself with the most powerful God, the one true God. The only God whose kingdom can offer the stability that we desire. And that truth has not changed, friends. God's kingdom will prevail. And as, once, as someone once said, I've read the end of the Bible. I know how the story ends. God wins, he wins. And no matter what the circumstances of your life that you're going through right now, no matter what obstacles are in front of you, no matter, no matter what kind of chaos, instability, uncertainty that you're dealing with right now, God's kingdom will prevail. And God says to align with him. He will not fail. It won't go wrong. He will guide you. He will take care of you. He will keep you secure. He will provide stability for your life. Every day, the knock on the door is between two kingdoms. Rahab chose the kingdom of God because she knew that God would prevail. Look what Daniel says about kingdoms in chapter 2, verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. So when we face a choice between two kingdoms, between the ways of the world and the ways of God, that choice, as complicated of a decision as it may appear, is really no choice at all. The answer is clear. Like Rahab, we must fear the Lord. And this is a healthy fear. This is a a, a wonder and awe of who God is and the power that he has and who he is and who he says he is. That's the kind of fear we have, that his kingdom will prevail. His kingdom will be all that we need for the stability of our lives. There's no doubt about it. But Rahab still is not done. She aligns herself with God and his kingdom. She saves the spies from certain death and places herself in peril. And after she's done all of that, she turns to the spies and look what she says in verse 12. Now then, I've done all this stuff for you. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. She begs for salvation and salvation is what she gets. The spies say our lives for your lives. All she needs to do, get this, is hang a scarlet cord in the window. This is the sign of salvation. Verse 17, now the men said to her, this oath you have made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land You've tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and your mother, your brothers, and all of your family into the house. See, the scarlet cord is all we need. It's all she needed in her life, she says. It's all we needed to do to save our family was to put the scarlet cord in the window. Some say it's a connection to the blood that was um, spread over the doorframe. If you think back to the time of Moses, when the plagues are coming through, and that one plague of death, where death would not enter the house if there was blood along the doorframe, which is a, an interesting thought. But even more interesting is that it ties into the true Lamb of God, Jesus, his blood that was shed for our salvation. Salvation is offered to Rahab through the blood of the Lamb. What's even more interesting about Rahab's life is the genealogy that we find in Matthew chapter one. In that genealogy, we find a woman named Rahab. She was the mother of Boaz. If you know your Old Testament stories, Boaz is married to Ruth. Boaz is the redeemer kingsman. There's a lot of history in the the story of the redeemer and redemption there between the two of them. But now we find out also that she's the great-great-grandmother of King David, which makes her in the line of descendants of Jesus. Rahab is a family member of Jesus. She becomes a significant figure in the history of Israel, all because she saved two spies, two spies. All because she recognized God's kingdom will prevail, that only God's kingdom could offer her stability, security, and salvation that she longed for. See, in choosing the kingdom of God, we will experience salvation. Essentially, what we learned from Rahab's salvation is this, all who fear the Lord, all who have put their hope and trust in his son, Jesus Christ, will be saved. All people, no matter who they are, where they are, what they've done, all people who fear the Lord and put their trust and hope in Jesus will be saved. All those who choose the kingdom of God over the kingdom of man will find security, stability, and salvation. And that's what the story of Rahab teaches us. But there's more. Who was Rahab that she would be so honored? Who was was she that she would become the great-great-grandmother of King David and a part of Jesus' genealogy? Who was this woman? She's even listed in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament in the Faith Hall of Fame list. I looked it up this week, it's amazing. There's her name in one of the greatest stories of faith. She must have been one holy lady. Who was she that she would deserve such honor? Well, she's a prostitute, a lady of the night. And this has disturbed many Christians over the years. How could she be a prostitute? Maybe it's written wrong. Maybe she was just kind of the manager of the brothel. Maybe she was overseeing the hotel, but the Bible doesn't give us that option. It makes it very clear who she was and what she did. There was nothing holy or righteous about her. And to make matters even worse, she's not even an Israelite. She's an outsider, someone from outside the faith, outside the kingdom of God. But yet here she is confessing her faith before God, a faith that was deeper than what many believed the Israelites had at that moment. And then Paul reminds us why in chapter three of Galatians, verse 28, where he says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. She knows that the kingdom of God will win, will prevail. And she knows this perhaps even better than the Israelite spies did at the moment. She has given her, um, she has given God her amazing faith, all all because of that faith, she finds salvation. It's all about her faith. She chose the kingdom of God over the kingdom of man. She put her faith in the true God. Rahab the prostitute finds salvation in God's grace because of her faith. And this story reinforces the fact that anyone who gives their faith to Jesus Christ, anyone who fears the Lord will be saved. That is the point of the story. And that's really the point of all the people of Israel. That's the story of their nation. God called this holy nation. He called all these people so he could bless them, so that all people who could come to know God and put their faith in him, so that they all could grow in security and stability. He provides all of that in the midst of the upcoming storm. And he offers that to you and I today. Security and stability when we choose his kingdom, his ways, his purpose, his path. Because that's exactly what Rahab found. All of us, in all of this, we are faced with a call before God to say, God, I wanna choose your kingdom. I wanna fear you, I wanna follow you, I wanna find my salvation in you because I know your kingdom will prevail. And God offers us that security that we're longing for and that's the truth we're faith with today. It's the truth that we need to be reminded of every morning when we get up. We have a choice between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And this is the truth that we must remember to choose between finding our hope in the things of this world or finding our hope in God. See, God's kingdom will always prevail. So our kingdom of choice should be simple. See, when we really get down to it, the choice is rather simple. We know God's kingdom will prevail. We know God will win. We know God will provide. He's the only one who can offer us protection from the upcoming storm. So let's put our faith in him. Let's put our fear in the Lord so that we will all be saved and put our trust in Jesus in the grace that God offers If he's willing to save Rahab, he's willing to save us. Two kingdoms come knocking on the door, which one will you choose? If you are an American and a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have pledged yourself to allegiance to two kingdoms, one earthly and one heavenly. See, we are born and we live our lives in an earthly nation, we learn to speak earthly languages and we engage in earthly culture. We all have a citizenship in this earthly nation and we submit to the governing authorities of the nation. The standard for living as an American is called the American Way. It is characterized by things like pride for the flag, pride for the nation, rugged individualism, uh, freedom for all people of creeds and colors. But our true citizenship lies upwards. As Christians, our first allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven, to the sovereign triune God. Heaven also follows a standard. It's called holiness. One day we will spend eternity living out that standard with God and with each other. So in a sense today, we are aliens We're foreigners, we're bypassers, we're just visiting here. We're not of this world. Jesus Christ was not of this world. From an eternal perspective, we must remember that even though we serve a kingdom agenda, we are not absolved from actively engaging the earthly culture in which we've been sent. God doesn't just rule in heaven. He rules in heaven and on earth. And the agenda of, this, of his kingdom is the visible demonstration of that comprehensive rule over every area of our life. So our allegiance to God means that how we live on this earth matters. We are not just mere observers of worldly culture. We are transformational agents within this culture. And so when we choose the kingdom of God, what's the first thing that we should do? Worship him. He is worthy of all our worship, why? Because his kingdom will prevail. He provides everything that you and I need to get through this world, everything. So what is it it naturally for us to do? Worship, to worship him. So why don't we do that? Why don't we stand and continue to worship him this morning?